Hello, listeners. I'm Hillary Trudeau, and this is The Yarn Podcast. Thanks for joining us. The Yarn uses the power of story to amplify voices, build understanding, and create a space for human connection. We currently operate out of Little Rock, Arkansas, and all of the stories you're about to hear were recorded live. Our shows are theme-based and center on the topics that come straight from our community. In this episode, we're featuring stories from our live storytelling event, Striving Forward, True Stories from Arkansas Women, which was sponsored by the Women's Foundation of Arkansas. This show was performed live at Club 27 on August 28, 2019 in beautiful downtown Little Rock, Arkansas. This will be the first of a three-part series, so let's get started. Our first storyteller is Hannah McAllister. Hannah is a proud Arkansas transplant. She moved to Stuttgart, Arkansas in 2009 to teach fourth grade, then worked as an instructional coach in Pine Bluff before moving to Little Rock in 2013. There she was managing teacher preparation and development for Teach for America's Arkansas operation. Soon thereafter, Hannah dove straight into politics when Jared Henderson asked her to manage his campaign for governor of Arkansas. Here's Hannah from the Yarn Stage. Thank you so much. Is this okay? Yeah. Okay. November 6, 2018. Election day. I had just completed a whirlwind 13 months managing my friend and mentor Jared Henderson's campaign to become the next governor of Arkansas, and we had just lost. I sobbed through his concession speech. Our communications director, Abby, gave me her phone at the last minute and asked me to film the speech. And that video is lost forever because my hands were shaking so bad and my sniffles were so loud that it was unintelligible at best. So I stepped outside after the speech, outside this wall-to-wall packed room to get some air. And that's when I nearly ran smack into one of the most politically influential Democratic men in the entire state of Arkansas. Let's call him, I don't know, John. John patted my shoulder. The only thing that would have been more condescending is would have been if he patted me right on top of the head. But he patted me on the shoulder and he said, I always thought it was so brave of Jared to hire you. I wiped the tears from my eyes as my previous inconsolable sadness quickly transformed into what the actual fuck. (laughs) Like, brave? That was not fucking brave. (laughs) Brave implies taking a risk. It implies something unknown. And this wasn't a risk, and I wasn't unknown. I had worked with Jared for five years. He trusted me implicitly. He'd seen me do great things. He wanted my leadership on his campaign. This was smart. This was savvy. It was a great choice, obviously, but it wasn't brave. So if I had John back here tonight, I would want to tell him what I think brave is. Brave is my Japanese-American grandmother coming home from elementary school one day to find out that her dad has been sent to an internment camp and her family has no way to communicate with him and they have no idea when he's coming home. Brave is her then becoming the first person in her family to get a college degree, and then a graduate degree, and then becoming a college professor herself and raising five kids while learning six languages, including her father's native Japanese. 
Brave is my single mother who made a home for her four kids when we, felt, when we were houseless, who stepped up and showed up when we were dadless, and who instilled in her kids this will to be fearless. One mother raising four kids with more strength, presence, love, and energy than our two dads combined. Brave was when I went to college 684 miles away from home to a big state school where I didn't know a single soul because that's where the scholarship money was. Brave is then when I moved 679 miles back in the opposite direction to Stuckart, Arkansas, self-proclaimed rice and duck capital of the world, if you haven't heard, <laughs> from northern Indiana, sight unseen, to teach 19 fourth graders how to read. Brave, by the way, is every teacher walking into every classroom every single day, knowing that, yes, knowing that the choices they make are going to impact students for the rest of their lives. Brave was quitting my awesome job in Arkansas after eight years, selling all my stuff, and going to South America with just a backpack and a loose plan to teach English, teach yoga, and figure out my life. I said goodbye forever to Arkansas. I posted a very dramatic Facebook post. <laughs> I pledged to travel around the world for at least a year, and then three months in, I took a Skype call from Jared while I was at a coffee shop in Bolivia and heard him ask me to move back to the U.S. to manage his campaign for elected office. I ended up, clearly here I am, I ended up coming back to Arkansas like a boomerang and I still get crap from my friends about never even having changed my car tags because I wasn't gone long enough. <laughs> and I took a big swerve into a completely new industry. That shit felt brave. Brave was on the campaign trail when I continued a conversation with the male state legislator who showed up to meet with me before a big press conference to talk about the state budget and asked, did you forget to comb your hair today? And by the way, when I asked him a couple questions to try to dig a little bit deeper into that state budget, he said, honey, this is just how we do it. It's not going to change. So very helpful, very helpful. It was brave of me to lock in the money we desperately needed from a well-known male campaign donor, even after he asked me during a lunch meeting, why are you even in politics in Arkansas if not for rich old white guys to buy stuff for you? No other reason that was it. It also felt brave when I sent a surrogate to pick up a check from another prominent male donor when he told me I could come over anytime after 8 p.m. because that's when he'd be relaxing in his robe. Our campaign slogan was expect more for Arkansas, but truly I just wanted to be able to expect a little bit more for mediocre, misogynistic, mostly white men in Arkansas. <laughs> Someone else who's brave. Brave is Denise Ennett, who's my soon-to-be state representative for District 36, the only woman running for that seat. And if you didn't hear, she won the special election a few weeks ago. She's running in the runoff against the man who took second place. So if you live in HD 36, you can go vote for Denise tomorrow, Friday, or Tuesday. Quick plug. Today for me, Brave is applying to business school so that my role, my work, and my career don't have to depend on unreliable men, so that I can be my own boss, and so that I can change the status quo for myself and for other women. So I know what Brave is, and I know I'll keep running into John, different versions of John along the way, but because of this long line of brave women who raised me, and from my own experiences of standing up for what I believe in, I know I'm brave enough to handle it. Thank you.
Next up is Stephanie Thompson. Stephanie Thompson is the author of Love Yourself First, her debut novel. She's also the author of two other books, Down South, the collection of recipes from my mother, and Brave, a memoir. Stephanie was born in Emerson, Arkansas. She's an Air Force veteran. After her military service, she earned a master's degree in counseling from Southern Arkansas University in Magnolia. Stephanie worked as a mental health therapist, program coordinator, and she has a passion for personal development. Stephanie writes full-time, enjoys reading and cooking, is married with three wonderful children, and currently resides in Hot Springs, Arkansas. Here's Stephanie from the art stage. Thank you for that. Woo, okay. Okay. As, um, as, uh, as she was saying, I was born and raised in Emerson, Arkansas, a small town just above the Louisiana state line. That's how far south I'm from in Arkansas. A very small town, about 444 people the day I graduated. I was raised uh, by a single mother. I was the only Oh, I was the oldest child of four. My mom had an undiagnosed mental illness, and she spent most of her time, getting a little nervous here. <laughs> she spent most of her time in a rage, throwing things, yelling, telling us we had ruined her life, that she would never have a man in her life because all of our fathers had abandoned us. Um, and the other time she spent in her room, sad, with the door closed, sometimes I could hear her crying at night. And then there were days when she would feel okay and she would come out and she might cook and she might put on a nice outfit and that would last for a short time before she'd go in back, back into the dark mood again. That's how we lived every single day. We never knew what to expect, but we loved her and we wanted the best for, for her. As I, was, as I was sharing, uh, when I was getting prepared for this, we were on welfare and food stamps. But there's two parts of it. We were on welfare and food stamps when my mom, my, when from the time I was about six to 12, my mom couldn't find a job and she had little babies and whatnot and she was depressed and all this as I was sharing before. But something changed around the time I was 12 and she got a job as a nurse's assistant. She was still going through the same things, but she learned how to hide it. She learned how to mask it during the day and then just kind of let loose at night. From what, I've been, from what I've been told, she was a great worker, very caring and very loving. But at home, her name for me was Bald-Headed Witch. That's what she called me from the time I was six years old. So after a while, I began to believe some of the things she was saying about me. I began to believe that I was unworthy, that we were in the way and that we had ruined her life, that there was no future for me or for my siblings. But somehow I kept going and I, I became a good student. And I graduated among the top three in my class. Before that, my class had nominated me to be on the homecoming court, believe that or not, but it was more than how you looked, it was about how you, how you acted and carried yourself. And um, we went through an interview and I was chosen for a homecoming queen. And for just a split moment, I was happy. But then I realized I didn't have a dress, I didn't have transportation, and I knew that my mom would be angry. By the time the night came and I took the walk, I didn't want to be queen, 
I just wanted to get out. I just wanted to go. This is tough. So I joined the Air Force. And shortly after graduating, I went to basic training. And then I went to my permanent duty station. While, while there, I would go home on the weekends to take care of my brother and sister as best I could, to take them food, to make sure they had fresh water, because our well was so low that the, the pipes could not reach it. And when it could, the water was so muddy that they couldn't drink it. So I, I, had, I hired somebody to bring them fresh water. One time I went home, and uh, it was so bad. The food was molded, and everything was outdated. My mom was getting progressively worse and my siblings asked me if I would take them back with me. I didn't know how I could do that, but I knew I couldn't leave them. So I took them back to my duty station. I went to see our JAG, our military attorney, and I told him what I was going through, what we were going through. And he said, he advised me to get a civilian attorney and to apply for guardianship. I did, and I got guardianship of them and I moved them to Louisiana with me. I enrolled them in school. I rented an apartment for us. And they did well. They weren't hard to raise. But after that, I was sent to the Gulf. And I had to send them back to my aunt for a while. But in the Gulf, things changed for me. I was on a remarkable team, and we put together a hospital in the middle of nowhere in Saudi Arabia from the ground up, and I was really proud of that team. But on the inside, I still felt like there was something wrong with me. But one day, during my off-duty time, I went into the day room, and there was this huge box of books that had been donated from people overseas, people in the States. And I went through that box until I found a book that was called Dress for Success. And on the cover of that book was a lady who looked like she was confident. She looked like she knew what she was doing from the inside out. And I wanted to be like that. So I took that book and I read it cover to cover. And I also found another book called I Surrender. I believe it was by Andrew Murray. And it talked about faith. And for a moment, I realized that I was good and that God would help me if I asked. And that changed my life. I realized I didn't have to do everything on my own, that I could say something is going on and someone would come and help me. And I'm so grateful for those two books because when I got back, from the, got back to the States, I read every motivational book I could find, inspirational books. I started to eat better, I started to, to get more sleep, I started to, to think about what I wanted in life and how to go about getting it. It wasn't easy, but I made some significant changes. And I wanna say too that my brother, two brothers and my sister are doing well now. They all have college degrees, they're all professionals, and I'm really, really excited about that. I now have two children, a beautiful daughter, and a son, and a brand new granddaughter. 
Sometimes I still feel unsure, but I do it anyway. Thank you. This is the final storyteller in the first part of a three-part series. Her name is Tanisia Roundtree. Tanisia was raised in Jonesboro, Arkansas, and was the only child to her mother, Linda Talley, who instilled in her early the importance of a great work ethic. When Tanisia grew up, she continued that work ethic, striving to be in the top of the industry that she loved the most, sales. It led her to great opportunity and great hardships. Today, Tanisia is a proud business owner, serves as president of Young Professionals of Conway, and mentors other young ladies who are striving to live their best lives. Here's Tanisia from the art stage. Oh, y'all can do better than that. Come on, get to me. <laughs> How are y'all doing today? <laughs> Good. Um, I come away, I look at this crowd, and it's just breathtaking for many, many reasons. Hey, kid. Right. I knew it was going to happen. I knew it was going to happen. That's okay. I got my good mascara on today. We're good. Um, mm. Let's start off like this. Have you ever had one of those moments you just couldn't figure out life? Right? Absolutely. That was who I was. One of my favorite uh, motivational speakers, her name is Lisa Nichols. And one of her most famous quotes when she begins her speech is that she was broke and she was broken. In 2015, that's how I found myself. I was broke and broken. I joke with some of my friends, even Kim over there. We'll talk about her later. Um, that I could have written my own country song. <laughs> I had lost my man, I lost my job, and all I needed was some bush beer and a dog, and I guess I would have been good. Right? Amen? Amen. Amen. So, yeah. But it all started before then. Um, it was a time where I, my background is sales and marketing. And I love what I did. I was what you call a fixer. So, basically, I went to different stores, look at their key performance indicators, and help train, coach, hire, and fire, whatever was needed to assure that these companies or these businesses was running well. I loved what I did. So much so, it became what I was. I was excellent out in the field when I came home in the dark by myself, be it early mornings, late nights. I did not know who I was and I was totally lost. My job became who I was. Over time, life happened. I had my son. And I thought things were going to be great, but it wasn't. Again, I found myself wondering who I was, and, and depression starts to set in, and I turned to men. One of my friends, who I love dearly, 
raped me. Because I cared for him so much and also afraid of him as well, instead of taking it out on him or even pressing charges, I decided to take it out on other men. Good guys, bad guys, but I always won. So pressing forward, I had a few more children that I loved with a man that I did not love. He was what you call a rebound. I'm sure y'all know what that is, right? Okay, we had a lot of fun. We came, we left with a lot of smiles, but that was pretty much all what, all what it was. You know what I mean? Amen? Yeah. All right. So with that being said, I was in this corporate life, lost my job, and of course that relationship didn't work out well because he was not for me. So what do I do? Now I have four children, I'm a single parent, and I did not know where to go. I tried over and over again to get into corporate life, but for whatever reason, it just did not work out well. For whatever reason, it just did not work. Until some time later, I found myself with my son, now all children under nine and 10, we're scraping change to buy discount bread. There were times that I had to make decisions between paying the light bill or purchasing my children's shoes. Well, let me tell you, we had a lot of candlelight dinners. A little bit more than I would like to claim. Over time, time more and more time passed and I tried to get back into corporate life, but between childcare and time, I just could not make it work. Until one day, I was speaking to my mom on the phone and she said, have you ever thought about a cleaning company? And I just kind of laughed and I told her, seriously, honey, I wear suits, I don't clean toilets. Yeah, I know, I get, I get that a lot, like, whoa, yeah. That, that was who I was. I was filled with pride and ego. A lot of people would say, just at that time anyway, all body, no substance. I was unfulfilled, I was lost, I was confused but I meant what I said. So with that being said, over time I still continue to try to get into corporate life, it did not work, so with some hesitancy, I started the cleaning business. And I humbled myself. And once again, we started to scrape change. This time we were trying to buy cleaning supplies because I didn't have any extra money. So we were scraping under the couch and in the bottom of the purse and under the car seats and everywhere we could find change, scraping it all, put it in one of those Walmart bags. Well, we call every bag Walmart bags. It could be from anywhere, but it was always a Walmart bag, right? So we put it in the bag and went to the grocery store. You know how they have those change machines? We poured that, that money out into that, that change machine. Got the receipt, handed it to the teller, and the teller handed me back a $20 bill. And I was excited. So we headed to the Dollar Tree and I bought every single cleaning supply I could possibly afford and left a little money out because we were also on E. We had just made it there. We were putting, putting along. You know how it kind of stalls a little bit? That's where we were. So got the gas. And on that day, we started the cleaning business. And when I say we, I mean me and my son. He was there with me, knocking on doors, asking, do you need service? Can I clean? Your toilet, humbleness changed my life. So with that being said, over time, six to eight months later, well, actually, let me back up. Pr 
prior to me starting my business, because I have to get credit what credit is due, because I have to be faithful to what I said I was going to do. Prior to me starting a business, one of the things that I said was, Lord, if you'll just align me with the right people, I'll take it from there. If you'll just align me with the right people, I'll be good. And one of the first people that he aligned me with was Kim Lane. Kim Lane, everybody give her applause. Literally, if it had not been for her, and what she doesn't know, she was speaking life into me when I couldn't even speak life into myself. And that's why I attached myself to you. So with that being said, within six to eight months later, I'm thankful to say that my business, although had just gotten insurance, was <laughs> nominated and awarded Outstanding Minority Business, um, Minority Business of the Year. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I was also nominated of Outstanding Woman in Business and several other accolades. And what was so awesome about it was that my children were there to see it. We experienced that life together. We kept moving forward together. I have 30 seconds, but I want, I want you to take this away. Rather, it wasn't about the money. It was about the mindset. It was about the heart, being able to be humble, to understand what you actually need and who you're actually getting that from, from me. Okay? So if nothing else, whoever, whenever, or wherever you're going through something, just remember this. Keep moving forward. And it'll be okay. Thank you. That's our show for today. Thanks for listening. Again, I'm your host, Hillary Trudell, and this has been the Yarn Podcast. Before we go, I want to take a moment and thank the many people who make the yarn possible. This episode of The Yarn was edited by the capable Amaya Jones. Special thanks to our business manager, Sarah Brown. Thanks to Julianne Dunn, our operations director, who keeps us in line and on track. Jensen Hallett, Jesse Rice, Brad Cameron, and Laura Creech run our comms team and are fabulous at it. Amy Harbour is our partners manager. Emily Warnstorfer and Ellie Wheeler not only house manage our shows, but bring their artistic talents to all the windows that our venue owners will allow painting. Hannah Hitchcox was the stage manager for this show. Laura Creech is also our website manager. Stacy Cox takes photos. And finally, the yarn would not be possible without the brave Arkansans sharing their stories with us. So thanks to Hannah, Stephanie, and Tunisia. And finally, thanks to the veteran yarn storyteller, Sarah Catherine Gutierrez, for hosting the show at her beautiful Club 27 in downtown Little Rock, Arkansas. You can find more on The Yarn at www.theyarnstorytelling.com, and you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We also have a podcast on the Big Rock Switchboard produced by the fabulous Whit Berenger. Lastly, we'd love to hear from you. You are our community, and we want to make sure we represent what matters to you on our stage. So you can send us your suggestions for upcoming shows and comments about this show to info at theyarnstorytelling.com. Remember, at The Yarn, we believe in the power of story. Share yours with us at theyarnstorytelling.com. Everyone's got a story. What's yours?